0: Hi team, this is Robert, this is work, and I know I say that every week, but you start with half of a seed and hope it grows into something entertaining or eloquent and always honest, and after one draft and draft two, you realize, I might need to do this again and again. So... This process really shows me two things. One, the more work you put into it, the better it's going to get. And this is the best that the story has gotten. And two, you are worth doing this for. I'm so grateful for your support and your listening and your consideration of just what I'm learning and what I'm living. And hopefully together we receive just a bit of faith, hope, and love into our life. In the weeks ahead. So, wherever you are, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful to do this. Together, this is episode number 14 of the podcast New Problems The Spiritual Gift of Encouragement. I have never had a year where I did more spiritual shit. This is 2020. This is 2020 in the global health crisis. If there was ever a year where any and all of my spiritual ammunition in my arsenal needed to be fired, now would be the time to fire. As Captain Kirk exclaimed in the fairly watchable movie Star Trek when under siege by the rogue time-traveling Romulan Captain Nero, Fire! Everything. 2020 is a clockwork orange mixed with Friday night lights. I have never had a year where I did more spiritual shit because one does not buckle into the chair in a clockwork orange without having his ammunition ready. I have never prayed more night after night, alone with friends on Zoom, interceding and leading, being prayed for, praying for prophetic dreams, receiving prophetic words, doing prayer drawings, praying while I walk, waking up, praying in tongues, waking up, praying in the park. I prayed a lot in 2020. I started this year with one Bible. Now I have three stacked on my bookshelf like a little altar to my sense of spiritual authority. I have one, a literal word for word translation called the English Standard Version. This is a favorite of Christian thinkers in my denomination that I probably will find annoying and make episodes about of this podcast in the future. This is my primary Bible. When the president pulled his Bible stunt in Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C., a Bible factory revolted and decided in response to give away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Bibles a copy of something they called the Good News Translation. It's a let's just get to the point translation of the Bible. It's easy to read. It was free. I like it. But because it's 2020 and I've done so much serious spiritual things, I now have a copy of the new Oxford Annotated Bible with the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha are books from the Hebrew tradition that certain branches of Christianity do not accept as the divine word of God. Which means this version of the Bible could be considered my liberal Bible. Of course, there are just some things about the force an evangelical will never teach me. If I want to decide for myself, if the apographa is good enough for my life, I had to get a copy on my own. And besides, it looks important, which is all we really have to show for life in 2020. Plus, it's more than just having an altar of three Bibles on my bookshelf. I read them. In 2020, I finished Genesis, Ezekiel, Revelations, Luke, 109 out of the 150 Psalms, James, and I'm currently, as you may have suspected if you've listened to this podcast, reading First Samuel. And I like it a lot. Because my job convenes a tapestry of spiritual thinkers and leaders and regular people and commentators facilitating guided conversations about spiritual practices and living in service and philosophy, I have learned so much in 2020. I have meditated. I have learned to count to 10 on my in-breath and count to 10 on my out-breath. I'm a fidgeter by nature, but I'm trying to keep both of my feet on the ground because my feet are anchoring me to my sense of earth and my sense of earth, I have learned, is how I gather a sense of presence. I have learned so much from so much Christian content in 2020. I have listened to so many podcasts by millennial guru John Mark Comer when I'm going through my self-care walks throughout bed There's streams on YouTube that maybe you've heard about from churches. There were those three weeks back in the spring when every pastor had to have an Instagram live with their favorite guest pastor and told us God was going to do something amazing in our 2020. We just had to wait for it. I have marched for black lives in 2020. I have chanted for black lives in 2020. I have perfected my favorite recipe, red beans and rice. I enjoy a cup of pour over coffee every morning. I just know so many of the strategies for keeping your heart rate down. Breathing, cooking, walking, finding something tactile, reaching out to friends. I sit in parks and I sit on the roof and I sit on the stoop and I play the guitar. I did a lot of good things for me in 2020. Every tool in my well-being toolbox was brandished, and every evil thought and anxious thought and wicked thought was nailed with my hammer accordingly. Because I've been taught, and I know these things, and I read about these things, and Brene Brown is sensei. All the hitting and the pounding and the breathing and the Bible buying all added up to last week. Last week. When I just could not get out of bed. I couldn't get out of bed. I was on one of those last three pathetic pumps from your super soaker, and there's just no water to be had. I just could not get out of bed, which happens. And it's easy because it's 2020, and I'm living on a bed in 2020. In a windowless room. This room, of course, has a window. I'm not a loser. According to an interpolation from my faith tradition, I am, apparently, supposed to be blessed and highly favored, and blessed and highly favored people do not live as if they're bumblefucks in Bushwick. I live in a room with a window because that's the window God has given to me. Except, I can say that this is not a window... That's a window in any practical sense. You cannot see anything from this window. It receives no fresh air. It faces an air conditioner six six inches away from the window pane. I am on the second floor of a five-story building. Looking up is just stacks and stacks of gray and decayed brick. Like those stories from those kids in the country when they fall down the well and the whole town has to come and drag them out. I am in the pit. Greeted by pigeons that arrive on the hour atop my neighbor's air conditioner. Leaving ample evidence. My window has Security one-way screws so I can't unscrew the security lock and put in an air conditioner, meaning I'm so hot here and I'm listening to an air conditioner that is not mine 22 hours a day. Altogether, it's just me in a windowless room in 2020. Which is not to say that my windowless room is a terrible room. If this is the bottom of the well, at least the well has Wi-Fi and a decent floor lamp. So I stay here. This windowless room in 2020, my office, my cafeteria, my spiritual retreat, the bleachers to watch baseball, this windowless room is the cradle for every thought, idea, revenge, fantasy, rant, and sense of joy that I have. This is where I listen to Mets announcers Gary, Keith, and Wrong be vexed about the Mets' playoff chances, despite it never being easier for the Mets to make the playoffs. I despise YouTube church from my windowless room. I created a podcast in my windowless room. The point is, everything good and bad that happens to me happens in a windowless room on Willoughby Avenue. And that's just the way it is. Now, before the pandemic, I really kind of liked it here. I'd get home, I excelled, shut the door, and... Everything I had gone through or worked on was left outside. It was just me here. Everything in this space is just a cradle to things that I find beautiful. I love looking at the things in my windowless room. I have a keyboard, a beautiful guitar, a copy of One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish by Dr. Seuss. I have a poster that says, Romance is boring in millennial pink. I went to the Guggenheim Museum a few years back during their exhibition about the minimalist painter Agnes Martin. She's amazing. Her concept is grids on grids on grids, which I've interpolated in my room with random lac shelves that I found one night on my self-care walk. There's a cutting board that I bought from Craigslist for $10, which is just pink grids and blue grids going side to side next to my desk and my floor lamp. I like being here. If I died, you could preserve this room and really get a sense. Whatever Robert found beautiful, there must have been a reason he had an abacus next to his stack of Bibles. The point is, every windowless room is not terrible. In fact, the windowlessness is is the invitation to make your space exactly how you want it to be. Because there's no light, there's no sound, nothing else bleeds in. This room is exactly what I asked for. Except this is the room I am made for and I may be suiting it too well. This is a windowless room where nothing is coming and nothing is going. The only thing that enters is me, something I bought from Amazon, or the stale, simmering sweat that builds over the humid weeks of pandemic August. Living in a windowless room means there is no sunny day, no gray day, no rainy day, no snow day, no party outside, no handsome man to walk as they float across the street, no sunset, no sunrise. All I have is the neon purple glow from the Roku because I forgot to turn off the TV from the night before. Every day I wake up too early, check my phone for no real reason, and turn into my favorite radio show in my head, Rob Woe in the Willoughby Morning Zoo. Even in normal circumstances, waking up to the sound of your own inner voice is an issue. But I get too much airplay in the pandemic because there are no other program there are no program directors or billboard charts to follow. This is the third law of windowless rooms. Whatever is in heavy rotation stays in heavy rotation. I am my favorite DJ and I'm playing all the hits. This summer Maybe I was angry. But you've heard it. It was sadness and contempt. And sadness and grief aren't unuseful emotions. I heard in 2020, though, that grief is love with nowhere to land. This windowless room gave grief a bed, breakfast, and a microphone to make a podcast. But thanks to Dominic Smith, I'm not angry anymore. The angriness is over. Altogether, I feel fine. I do not feel angry. And I don't feel that I'm bringing any more of that into this podcast or into my day to day life. I cannot just stay angry. The issue is that all the spaces that were carrying anger had been replaced with nothing in particular. The adrenaline from my anger is over, and now it's just me, under the glow of the Roku, wondering if there's sun outside. So I'm here, in this room, hour after hour, with no real reason to go or do anything. I'm good at this now, I am the windowless room. When I wake up, I begin not looking outside, not at trees or sunrises. It's just me and my inner little radio. Days spent in a windowless room is what my literal Bible, my faith tradition would call a spirit of heaviness. The liberal Bible, would call it a faint spirit and the let's just get to the point translation calls it sorrow last week i took a shower it was on thursday around 3 p.m i wandered into the bathroom and sort of floundered around for 10 minutes checking on my patchy beard Too tired to actually get in the water. Except staring at my beard triggered my sense of shame around self-absorption. And I got my clothes off. And I got into the shower. I'm too emotionally fragile to hop on in. But I got there. Hot water on. Me in the shower. I finally had a thought. Robert, if you're going to simply do nothing and accept that you are going nowhere, this would be the better place to be lingering. Under the water, under the freshness, getting clean. If you're just going to spend a day too emotionally fragile to want to leave the house, At least be fragile in the water. Which says a lot. Because if 2020 is the year of me trying and failing to find reasons to get out of bed and be strong during the global pandemic, I was always going to end up with waterless super soakers at the end of our August with no adrenaline. Because We are windowless rooms. I can never do enough to drown out the radio station that finds a reason to be angry. To find a reason to replay so much grief and bitterness. I know my favorite songs. I know my potent triggers. I imagine what my enemies are saying and doing. There's so much noise in this windowless room. And nothing is going to break in or break out. Sarah McLachlan, this podcast official sensei, describes the spiritual search in a windowless room so well. In her song from the 90s, Building a Mystery, she wrote, You live in a church where you sleep with voodoo dolls and you won't give up the search for the ghost in the halls. Wearing sandals in the snow, a smile you can't wash away. Can you look out the window without your shadow getting in the way? And she's just so spot on. There are so many places to go and things to do and philosophies to try and spiritual shit to get done in Jesus name. And every year can be 2020s if you want to, because humans will never have a year where searching for meaning is not the ultimate point. But no matter what you do, we always go back to our windowless rooms with the radio stations we're the DJ for. And after the Bible camps and Sunday services or Coldplay concerts, we get back to where we started, to our stack of Bibles and the sound of pigeons clanging against your neighbor's air conditioner. So spiritual growth cannot be what we're doing. It cannot be about our access to information. It cannot be how many Bibles we have in our bookshelves and whether or not we have the right translation. Jesus of Nazareth is not asking what we're reading. It's asking where are we reading it? That's what makes the difference. This is what is called abiding. Abiding, the invitation to rest linked up in our sense of life, security, and strength. Where where we linger is where we receive the most life. In his last words to his disciple, Jesus of Nazareth said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit you have already been pruned and purified by the message i have given you so abide in me and i will abide in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me yes I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. And it will be granted when you produce much fruit, you bring great glory to my father. Abiding is such a beautiful, wise, irreplaceable invitation because abiding means to remember where you're lingering and where you're lingering in the sense and in the love and in the people That give you life. Abide means plug and stay plugged in. The windowless room is just the place where you're sleeping. It's not the place where you're living and feeling and giving life. So I do not want to make a podcast where I interpolate things that I learned that were interpolated from things someone else learned, outlining generations of theories of what you should be doing in order to achieve a life of peace, hope, and love, the life that you want. I don't want to be another step of your lifetime of steps about just trying and failing to find something to hold on to. Today, we're just being honest. Where are we abiding? If you are abiding in doubt, the fruit of your doubt will be powerlessness. But if you are abiding in imagination and wonder, the fruit of your life will be curiosity and openness. If you are abiding, In compassion, you will have the fruit of friendship. And there is nothing that replaces abiding in love. Because everything in you that is worth sharing, the evidence of what you are filled with creatively, relationally, professionally, is a reflection of your sense of what you're plugged into. And if you are abiding in a space of ego, of doubt, of fear, you will only have doubt and fear and arrogance to offer. And so while there is still so much to do and so much to get to, I really just want to stay in bed because I've exhausted my arsenal of spiritual shit to do. But the arsenal isn't the issue. The issue isn't the prayer. It's not the walking. It's not growing in the knowledge of God. It's not having a Bible and reading it. It's not playing the guitar. It's not having friends and family in my life that I care about. It's not cooking. It's not sitting on stoops or being on bookshelves. The great challenge of 2020 is not knowing what I should be doing. It's figuring out how do I answer? Where am I abiding? Because if I'm abiding nowhere, I'm going to run out of the adrenaline of my effort and end up like August, doing nothing, feeling nothing, going nowhere. The happiest time in my life as a Christian wasn't when I was doing Christiany things. My favorite time in Christianity was when I worked on the 11th floor of an ad agency. The 11th floor sucked. I used to sit on the 8th floor. It had an espresso machine and really cute people and a buddy who sat next to me, and we were just out of control at work. She would make post-its with the names of whoever I was going on dates with, and she would power rank them on the wall next to us, which was kind of insane, but it was really super fun. Together, it was laughter and joking and memes and everything that makes feeling like you work in advertising so cool. But I got moved to an account that was on the 11th floor. And so I traded my espresso machine for a windowless cubicle in the center of a windowless floor. I was so deflated. But it was on that windowless 11th floor I really learned so much. Because I just had time and no one bothering me. I'd get to work with one screen talking about XLGRPs and another with worship music and lectures and sermons, cranking in all that I could and answering every question and learning and discovering what Christianity was all about. I have never had more time to abide and simply soak. And therefore, I had never grown more in love and expectation. And so even though I've never had more to show for all this, I've never had more Bibles, I've never prayed more, I've never had more strategies, I've never lived less connected. And I don't have that faith and hope that makes doing what I do filled with delight and clarity and purpose. I feel this windowless room so much because I linger here and I abide here. And when you're abiding in the wrong thing, you never feel like you've got something more to give away. When I was a kid, in Sunday school, there was a song in my faith tradition that is interpolated by the various Christian faith traditions. It's very simple. It's called His Banner Over Me Is Love. It's one of those songs people teach to kids because the song has motion and it. it's really fun. But that song came into my mind this week. It is vital. And it's such a gift. His banner is Over me is love means his banner is where I linger and I linger under love. This song is based from the Hebrew Bible's epic poem from the book The Song of Songs which was never really discussed when I was a kid because we were all supposed to be purity rings and nobody in Song of Songs was wearing a purity ring when they were writing this stuff. But in their bliss they raise our awareness to the beauty of abiding. In one of the love letters going back and forth, the woman writes, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his Banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the doves of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The beauty of life is not discovering what God is doing for you or what your job is doing for you or what your political candidate is doing for you. And spiritual maturity isn't putting another notch on your belt of good things that you've done. The beauty of life begins when you find your banner the beauty of life when your banner anchors your sense of safety and connection and identity. The banner over you is love and this is the great invitation for life. To stay in bed all day and not even mind because the banner over you is love. But to go in peace with love And power and the invitation to be fruitful because you know that abiding is not a place we are fighting for. It is the place we are living from. As the rogue apostle Paul wrote, that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you under his banner, that you abiding may have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep this love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great to understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Spirituality is a true meaningful search. The asking of questions and the seeking are so vital. I love having three Bibles. I love learning from all of the faith traditions. I loved Reza Aslan Zealot. I'm a smart guy. I like this stuff. But I'm failing this summer because I'm aiming for the place where I can abide. But at some point, all of the things I learn and all that I do needs the place where I start from again. Because fullness cannot be the destination. It has to be the place where I begin. Yesterday was another Thursday. I showered and I stumbled upon a party in the park. It was an amphitheater, there was a DJ, and hundreds of people bouncing to the sounds of 70s house music. It was awesome. And of all the spiritual shit I've done in this park, praying and reading and drinking wine and listening to podcasts and audiobooks, this was the night that this park felt most like the space where I abide. Because I love this park. And I haven't felt it until I danced in it because the opposite of a windowless room is remembering where I get to dance. I get to dance because I get to tell my body, this is the place where my gratitude is lingering. And the gift of praise means I am going to not dance to the radio station in my head. There's a life around me I get to plug in and be a part of. I cannot dance to the radio station in my head, but I can dance here in this park with these people, and the random hawks making their homes in Bed-Stuy Brooklyn. The spirit of heaviness is replaced by praise, not because I'm giving an ego-filled cosmic God the price of doing spiritual business. Praise is God's gift to me. The psalmist writes, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises and not be silent. O Lord, I will give you thanks forever. And if I had my own translation of the Bible, I guess I'd write this verse this way. You have turned my windowless room into a dance party. I have showered and I am clean and I'm wearing a floral jacket so that my joy and the joy inside can be seen again. In my singing and in my laughter, I won't stop.